Okay, the title of this message is called An Apostle. Romans 1, 1 through 7, Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, through him we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice that uh, I didn't have this in, I wasn't going to talk about it, but just a thought here. Paul, when they asked Paul, what are you? He would say, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to do this. I'm called to be an apostle. But what I am is a servant, right? And so that's, I think, the way we all should identify ourselves. We're servants of God. We have gifts. We have functions. But first and foremost, if we don't have a heart of a servant, it doesn't matter what you are or what you call yourself, uh, you're not going to be a good reflection of him because Jesus came to serve, and we're called to serve, however it is he calls us to serve. Now, this um, call to be, he, he actually has it here, call to be an apostle, a servant of God, call to be an apostle, is actually probably what is known, and you don't have to remember this, is a handiadis. A handiadis, uh, when he says, uh, meaning the, the grace or divine gift of apostleship, a handiadis is a modification of Greek phrase, hand dia and dion, given that it means uh, roughly, if you were to translate that, one through two. None of this means anything to you except for this. What it means is that the second word is usually a description uh, or a reinforcing of the first word, okay? So what we might say in this particular situation is uh, we use things like rough and tough, okay? It's, uh, it's, it's nice and warm. So Paul is saying he received the grace. What kind of grace did he receive? The grace of apostleship, right? So what we're trying to get you to understand through the midst of all this is what Paul has received is grace and apostleship, but more than likely what kind of grace is he receiving? A better way of understanding it is the grace of of apostleship. The grace on his life and the apostleship were not two different things. The grace that Paul received was described by the word apostleship. What kind of grace did Paul receive? Apostleship. That's what Paul is saying. I received the grace of apostleship. So Paul has received the special gifting or the empowerment of being an apostle. So for us, the way that we would understand what Paul is saying is he has received, again, the grace. What kind of grace? Apostolic grace. What is grace? It's the empowering presence of God that equips us to do what we cannot do on our own. How do I be an apostle? I don't even know what an apostle is. Yeah, show me what, 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 show me what an apostle is. Okay, I got it written down. I can't do that. God says, you're an apostle, and then he gives you the grace to be what he's called you to be. It's not something that you 
uh, learn how to do in the sense that you go to school and you study apostleship and therefore you are one. It is grace and empowering presence of God that comes upon your life that allows you to be able to do what you could not do before you got, received this grace. It's like there's a grace for leadership. Uh, uh, when AJ was here, some of y'all know who AJ was. AJ used to uh, play for us in the worship team. He was a worship leader for a little while. But AJ uh, felt like he had a calling uh, to be in ministry. And so well, I asked him, I said, what kind of calling do you have? He said, uh, well, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor, a preacher, or whatever the case may be. I said, are you sure about that? He said, let me ask you a question. They said, when you go home and you study your Bible, I said, do you study your Bible? He said, yes. Do you get any seed thoughts? No. Do you get any ideas? No. I said, here, take this journal, and I want you to spend time before the Lord. I want you to go every morning, and I want you to write down any idea or any thought that you have. So he did that for a month. Brought back his journal. Nothing. Nada. I said, I'm not saying you're not called to ministry, but I don't think you're called to preach. Because usually what happens, if you've got a call to preach, you're going to have some kind of thought. You're going to have some kind of, uh, uh, like I remember the very first thing that I remember when I was reading scripture is it says in the book of Matthew, when they saw the star, the, the wise men, they rejoiced with great joy. And I thought, wow, that star could be a person leading them to Jesus, you know? That's a seed thought. That's a sermon thought, you know? It's like, well, how come I never had that? Maybe you're not called to preach, you know? Uh, but he didn't have that. And I said, well, it doesn't mean you're not called to ministry, but you might be called to worship or you might be called to something else. Well, and then I had a little thought in the back of my mind. I didn't share it with him. Unless God graces you somewhere down the road with an ability to do what you cannot do on your own. Well, one Sunday morning, and I had a feeling it was for AJ, but I, we presented to the whole congregation. I feel like I'm supposed to pray a prayer of impartation, uh, um, and, you know, over people that, uh, you know, that, that feel like they may have a call to, to ministry to preach. And, and so I prayed that. That next week, AJ, because uh, he uses the church computers, and, and somehow the church computer upstairs is tied to mine. So I look in my, all my messages, and all of a sudden I see a message I hadn't seen before, and uh, if you see my messages, uh, and AJ would help type my message and stuff like that. So I put my texts in red, you know, and you can see it right here. I'll put all my scriptures in red, and I'll have introduction, and I'll have point one, point two, and all that. And so anyway, I see a message up there, and I said, mm, that looks pretty good. I said, but I don't remember writing that. Well, I must have written that one morning when I was really tired. I just don't remember writing it, but it looks just like something I would write. It's a little shorter than when I would write. And so, again, anyway, anyway, I went to, uh, uh, later I was talking to AJ. Hey, did you write something? He said, yeah, I wrote a message, you know. I said, well, what happened? I put two and two together, and I t told him, I, I think what happened is when we prayed over you, God gave you a grace, an empowerment, activated something in you that was not there before. That's what grace does. It empowers you to do something you could not do. But remember when God told Moses to lay hands on Joshua because Joshua was going to be the next leader? And he said, take the spirit that's on you and put it on uh, the leaders and put it on Joshua. And we prayed for Joshua. What happened? A grace to lead came upon his life. God empowers us to do things we could not do. That's what grace is. Okay, and Paul's particular grace that he's talking about here is a grace of apostleship. And by the way, let me, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Okay, grace is the empowering presence of God that equips us to do what we could not do on our own. Another way of saying that is the anointing of God. All right, Jesus said uh, in Acts 10.38, he says how God anointed or graced 
Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And when he was anointed with this, he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him, empowering him. I know I added to that, but that's the context. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. To do what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has anointed me and sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's anointed me and sent me to preach recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you might be saying to yourself, well, he was the son of God. That's how he did all these things. No, everything he did, he did as a man empowered and anointed by the Spirit of God. If he did it as God... He, we could not have been redeemed by him. He did it as a man. Just like Adam was a man who because he was as by one man, sin came into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men so that all have sinned. One man led us into sin. Another man empowered by the Spirit of God. And yes, he was more than a man, but he functioned as a man. He was the second Adam. He, because of what he did, he allowed us to come back. It's like, I, I say it this way, Adam caused all the dominoes to fall down. Jesus' life caused all the dominoes to stand back up again. Isn't that amazing? So anyway, what we see in our text is that Paul was called or set apart or anointed by God, graced by God, empowered by God to be an apostle. And that calling was enabled by the grace that equipped him to fulfill that call. As Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do something, so too Paul was anointed or graced by the Spirit of God with the grace of apostleship. In Ephesians 4 and 7, and then uh, what happens is, is, we're not going to read the whole text, but what happens is Paul is, is saying something, and then he uses a text out of the Old Testament and then he tries to show you how that text applies to today. So instead of using that text out of the Old Testament, I'm going to try to put them all together so you just get the flow of it. Ephesians 4, we're going to look at verse 7 and then jump down to verse 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is the grace that was given? The grace that he gave, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, or this is shepherds and teachers. So the grace that Christ gave, the gift of grace that God Christ gave, was these anointings that he walked in, but now they are separated into people, and the grace is people that have been empowered by this grace. So apostles are given to the body. Grace is given to them so that they can go into the body and the, the function they have is to release their grace upon the body. What kind of grace is Paul uh, uh, empowered with? Apostolic grace. You have some people that have prophetic grace. You have some people that have evangelistic grace. Some people that have teaching grace and some people that have pastoral grace. I will tell you just to alleviate any tension in the body that I am the pastor of the church, but when we use the word pastor, pastor is a title. It's not necessarily my grace. Do you understand? Are you all understanding what I'm saying? Not every person that is the pastor of a church 
is functioning in pastoral grace. You can have an evangelist that can function as the pastor of a church. You can have a teacher that functions as the pastor of the church. The word, the, the title pastor really is overseer. Someone that's overseeing the church, but they can have different graces. What grace do I carry? I'm a servant of God. <laughs> but I can tell you that even though I have a prophetic, I mean, I have a pastoral leanings, I have a pastoral heart, I will tell you right up front, I do not have pastoral grace. Not who I am. You wonder why I don't act like a traditional pastor? is because I don't have pastoral grace. Right? It, I have to go outside of my grace to function like a traditional five-fold pastor. Thankfully, we have people in the body that have come along and they help me with that because it's just not, it's not that I'm lacking. I'm very diligent in what I do. I, I, I'm not trying to boast about myself. I, I, I think I'm not lazy. I'm not slothful, um, you know, but the reality is that's just not my grace but I have different graces. I have a different grace that's on my life, and it's okay. So what I'm trying to teach you today is, is not really about this, but hopefully you'll have an understanding that for whether it's me or somebody else that takes this role somewhere in the future, that that person might have pastoral grace, but he might not. And if he's in an office where the church is expecting someone with pastoral grace, but he has evangelistic grace, then there's going to be a conflict there if we don't understand that the person that's in this position is functioning in the role of a pastor, the, the office of an overseer, but their grace might be something completely different. Does that help? Okay. All right. So anyway, that's an aside. Let's get off the rabbit trail. So anyway, here we see that the fivefold ministry is God's grace given to the body, but that body, um, uh, that grace is resident in an individual who has been called to that office, but the purpose of that grace is to equip the body with that grace. Now, I've used this illustration before. I, I picked it up from a guy named Chris Vallon. Very good illustration to help us to understand, Okay. A pa an apostle is, is grace. A prophet is grace. An evangelist is grace. A teacher is grace. A pastor is grace. Grace is the empowering presence of God. Now, depending on who it flows through, it has a different flavor. When you go to a soda fountain, if it has, let's just say, five heads to it, right? We would say it's a five-flavored fountain. What you're getting is the same. It's carbonated water, right? It's basically all carbonated water. But depending on the fountain you go to is going to depend on the flavor that you get right? If you go to the one that says Coke, you're going to get carbonated water, but it's going to have a Coca-Cola flavor, 
right? If you go to the one that says orange, it's carbonated water. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that grace is what's behind it all, but the flavor is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be orange. The only one, sometimes you have one that has six heads, it has Diet Coke, but that's false prophet. No, just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, let's get back to our text. So, uh, the fountains are the five-fold ministry. Okay, grace. They all have grace. And that grace is given to the body not to keep it to themselves, not to do the work themselves, but to impart grace. What grace? Whatever grace they carry to impart it to the body. So you might say, well, I don't want grace from you. I want grace from God. Well, that'd be great, but God doesn't always work that way. One of the things that we have to learn how to do is not try to get God to do things our way, but find out how God does things and position yourselves to do and receive His way. Right? Because if we don't, I don't know if you know this about God, but uh, we can be pretty stubborn, but you're not going to out-stubborn God. Because he can wait you out. I have to remind God sometimes, as a God, you know, I'm mortal. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm waiting on you, God. And, you know, you can say, well, give it a little time. And 2,000 years later, you might look up and I'm gone. I'm dust. I remind you, Lord, I'm mortal. If, if, you know, if everything works out great, your Bible promises me 70, 80 years. If I get a little more than that, I'm grateful, whatever the case may be. And that's if everything goes right, you know. So I, what I'm trying to tell you is that you're not going to outweigh God. You think you're stubborn, right? He is, he is, he is true to his word. This is the way he works, Okay, so what I'm trying to get you to understand is don't beat your head against the rock trying to change the way God does things. Learn the ways of God, and when you learn the ways of God, you can position yourself to receive from God. And one of the ways that we're being taught here is that whether we like it or not, we live in a democratic society, everybody sits at a round table, that's not how the kingdom works. The way the kingdom works is God graces some people with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And if you want to receive that grace, you're going to have to sit in a position where you can receive from them. Right? That's how we receive grace. It's, and and uh, I like, there's a, there's a scripture in, in Psalms, Psalms 103 verse 7, is that Moses learned the ways of God and the children of Israel only saw the acts of God. If we can learn the ways of God, and one thing I'm trying to teach you and in in, in what the Lord gives me is I'm trying to teach you the ways of God so that we can receive from God and walk in all that God has given to us. I preached a sermon some time ago where, uh, um, where Jesus came to, he was talking to the apostles, the, the disciples, we know them as the apostles, but they were the disciples, and he said, Satan has asked to sift you. And that word sift, uh, uh, that word you after that is plural. He's asked to sift you, all of you. And then he turns around and he says, but I've prayed for you. And that word you is singular. And he's talking to Peter. And he said, I've prayed for you, Peter. And then you can imagine the other disciples going, why didn't you pray for me? 
why you pray for him? It ain't right. That's the way we are. That's the way we think, like he's showing favoritism. He's not. But then he tells Peter, he said, but Peter, when you're restored, you go restore your brothers. In other words, I want to bring restoration to you so you can bring restoration to them. And you may say to yourself, well, I don't want to go through anybody. Well, guess what? You're going to be fighting against God all, all the time. If you don't belong to a local church and you don't belong to a body, you are not going to get everything that you need because God works through people. You can function, you can get to heaven, but you won't be everything you're supposed to be because some things that God wants to give you is going to come through someone else. Yeah, it it's just the way it works. Yeah. But at the same time, we receive from you as well. We need you just as much as you need us. Amen? Okay, so anyway, he's, he's, he's working through these uh, grace gifts, and Paul understands that he has a grace of apostleship. He's called of God to bring forth into the body this grace. He is an apostle, and as an apostle, he gives or imparts the body to the body of Christ the grace Jesus paid for them to carry and to give away. In Paul's case, it's apostolic grace. In fact, he says in Romans 1 and 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And he's not just talking about teaching. I'm sure that's part of it. But the Word of God is living, active, powerful. When we bring forth what God has for us to teach and what God has for us to give, it's more than just knowledge. There's grace that, that is uh, uh, coloring those words. And that grace is the power of God that activates and imparts to you what we need spiritually and emotionally and physically. There's power in words that are spoken in agreement with the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God is wanting us to say. Amen? Okay, so what is an apostle? We, Paul says he's an apostle. He has apostolic grace. What an apostle is is point number two. The word apostle literally means a sent one. It is a military term used for generals who were sent into a region with the mission of establishing a culture that resembled the home culture. Likewise, in the church, apostolic leaders are sent ones. I was talking with somebody this morning. When Jesus set apart the 12 apostles, he said uh, 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 that they were, their, their mission was to be with him. That's what they were called to do. And then to send them out to do the things that he did. So first they had to have his heart before they were to do his works. Right? So... Uh, and, and that's what an apostolic leader is, is someone who is sent by heaven into the earth with a mission to bring and make the culture of heaven the culture of the people to whom the kingdom has come. Because I will tell you something, what we're talking about is we're talking about Christians, born-again Christians, but I want to tell you something, that there's a lot of churches that has not been established in kingdom culture. They're saved, they're going to heaven, but they don't act a lot different from the world. And that's okay, according to some churches, as long as you come to church, pay your tithes, be a good attender, and hold on till Jesus comes, that's all we want. It's not all that God wants. God wants His kingdom to, and the culture of heaven to be a part of your life, to be a part of your family, to be a part of your school, to be a part of your workplace, to be a part of your city. That's why he told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Okay, so apostles are heavenly-minded. Their mission is to see heaven's supernatural reality established on the earth. Having this motivation at the foundation of a church leads to an entirely different emphasis in the church's governing priorities. The apostle will make the presence of God, the worship of God, and the agenda of heaven the top priorities in the environment. Listen to what I'm telling you. In other words, I like to say it this way. It's not that we don't love people. We do love people. We, we're, but we're not here to create an environment where people feel comfortable. We want to create an environment where God feels comfortable. Because you can have a gathering of people and know God. But you bring God into the equation because there are places where God feels at home. And when God feels comfortable and God comes, I promise you that you won't have a problem attracting people. If we do things the logical way, and we see, we see, and, and listen, I know I'm going to step on some toes, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, but the reality is some of this seeker-friendly stuff is really the basis behind it. I'm not saying that there wasn't a good heart behind it, wanting to reach more people, but the bottom line is you want to create an environment where people are feeling comfortable, and you will, uh, um, you will infringe upon, in some ways, the... the absolute truth of who God is, what God says he is, in order to make people feel comfortable. But Jesus never did that. He never did that. In fact, what you would find is when there was a big crowd, he'd preach a little bit harder. And in fact, in John chapter 6, he said, if you, if you, you need to eat my flesh and you need to drink my blood. And those were tough words. And the people that were listening to him were his disciples. And you know who, were, who ran? It was the disciples. To the point, he was a huge multitude of crowds, to the point where the, 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 the 12, the closest ones to him, he turns to them and says, are you leaving too? And they say, where are we to go? You carry the words of life. Right? Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. I am the, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. Jesus was not, he was the friend of sinners, but that didn't mean that he accepted their sin. He came to call them out of their sin and empowered them to find a way to be able to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Right? He created the way by shedding his blood that people could have victory over and out of the bondage that they've been kept in all their lives by the devil. He set the captives free. And he empowered us to come out of this domain and into the kingdom of God. But it's kind of like... Are y'all, it's okay if I, I, I just kind of flow a little bit here? Okay, so it's kind of like you'll watch travel channels a lot, and when Americans go to other cultures, they don't always do well. 
because they want that culture to be like the one that they left, right? And so there's usually a lot of conflict there because I can promise you that a couple of Americans are not going to change a, a Central American or South American culture. It's not going to happen. But a lot of times what happens too is that when we come out of the world, we come into the kingdom of God, we've got citizenship in a new kingdom, but we've learned the culture of the world. And so the hardest thing to do when you go into a new culture is to learn how to live like the new culture. And, but if you don't have uh, humility and you don't have the understanding of it's not your job to go down there and try to get them to be like your culture. It's your job to learn their culture. When we come out of the world, it's not the job of the church to make you feel comfortable out of what you came out of. Your job at getting saved is to learn the culture of the kingdom. And the way that we know what the culture of the kingdom is, we have the word of God, but we also have apostles and prophets who are primarily kingdom, heavenly focused. The other gifts are people focused and they need to be, but the ones that are people focused have to be connected with heavenly focused people. Otherwise, the needs of the people will drive what they do. And we're not supposed to be driven by what the people need. We're supposed to be driven by what the Lord says His truth, what His will is, what His purpose is. And then we meet the needs of the people, but we empower them not to continue to live like they used to live in the futility of their thinking, in the ways of the world. But by showing them what kingdom culture is, we call them out of that into the kingdom of light to live and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There has to be a cultural shift. It can't just be, uh, I got saved and, and, you know, that should be good enough. No. Can't be that. Has to be more than that. That's what Jesus didn't just pay a price for. Listen, if all it was about you going to heaven, really the best thing we should do is just get you saved and then shoot you. <laughs> I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to go to that church either. We want you to get saved, but not for you to continue in the condition that you're in. It's for you to learn the principles of the kingdom, for you to learn the ways of God, to, for you to bring into manifestation the culture of heaven so that when you go out into the world, the world knows there's something different about you. And it's not because you have your hair in a bun and you don't wear makeup. That can't be the only thing that's different about you because you cannot wear makeup and still be a bitter old ninny. You understand? It's not, it's not the outward, it's what comes out of here. Out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Let me get back to work. All right, All right let me get back. Okay, so... Apostles um, um, are sent ones to bring the culture of heaven. Apostles are focused on heaven. Their mission is to see heaven's supernatural reality established on the earth. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul says, According to the grace of God, what kind of grace did he have? Apostolic grace. Like a skilled master builder, 
I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So here the Apostle Paul refers to himself as the master builder. This is a translation of the Greek word architecton, the word from which we derive the English word architect. This perfectly describes the role of the apostolic ministry. It is as though God himself has given blueprints to certain individuals to reproduce heaven on the earth. Along with this blueprint, the anointing of the apostle contains a quality that stimulates and draws to the surface the diverse anointings in the people around him. As those around the apostle began to manifest their own unique anointings, it creates an environment of subcontractors who help the master builder to realize the blueprints of heaven. You probably grasp that better than anybody because you're a builder, right? It's about, it's about building that which pleases the Lord, and that's his people, his church, right? But it's not about one person. It's about empowering others to join in the work and allowing them to share their gifts and their gifts get going and so that the church can become all it's supposed to be. I'm just talking about the apostle tonight because I could talk about the prophet, I could talk about the pastor, I could talk about the teacher. I'm just, this is Paul's text and this is what jumped out to me and that's why I'm talking about this one. Some people say there are no apostles today and I say yes there are. God has not taken his graces away. There are no 12 apostles. You're not one of the 12 apostles. That's already filled. That's done. That's over with. But there is apostolic anointings. And what is the apostolic anointing sent to do? It's sent there to, to, uh, it's, uh, to, in order to establish the culture of heaven in the place where we're at. So you can have an apostle paired with a prophet, paired with a pastor, paired with a teacher. Why is the apostle important? Because the apostle will always keep the focus on what is the concern. Not the, 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 the other ones are, con with, are, are concerned about the people, and so is the apostle. But the apostle is mostly concerned about what does God want? What is the best way to bring God into the equation, to do the will of God, so that ultimately the people's needs can be met. Because the people's needs aren't going to be met by counselors and psychiatrists. I'm not saying that that's all wrong. The people's needs are going to be met when the power of God is released into their life. You don't need to go to church if you have counselors and psychiatrists and they're going to do the work. But the reason you're going to church is because they're not doing the work. They're putting band-aids on your problem. The only thing that can really fix you, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counselors. It's like, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the only thing that can really fix you is the power of God. And the thing that we need most is the power of God. And what the apostle and the prophet do well is they concentrate on what do we have to do in order to be able to facilitate the presence of God and the power of God to move in our midst. I'm not saying it's wrong. You can go to a counselor and they'll help you. I'm not saying that at all. But it might take them a couple of years going to the same counselor and they might not make a lot of headway. They might make a little headway. But I like the idea that somebody can come up for prayer and God in one moment can zap them with the power of God and they can be set free and delivered and their life changed. Well, then what's the use of having a counselor? Well, the counselors are there to help them in their change. So what does the apostle do? Well, Paul tells us too, Romans 1 and 5. Through whom we have received grace, the grace of apostleship, to bring about the obedience. Can you say that word obedience to me? What kind of obedience? The obedience of faith. 
for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul is saying that the grace of apostleship is on his life to do something, to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, the obedience that is based on faith in Christ. The faith here is not the gospel or the body or doctrine presented for belief, but the belief itself. Believe and obey translates obedience of faith. This is not obedience to the faith, but obedience that is caused by faith. Faith without works is dead. If you say you believe, but you don't do his commandments, you lie. That's what, I didn't say that. <laughs> First John said that. Actually, his name is not First John. His name is John. <laughs> Paul saw his task as calling men and women to submission. Can you say that word with me? Submit. Some of us, it's more painful than others. It used to be painful in my life, but I've learned that the more I submit, the better things go for me. And you're not submitting to people. I'm not telling you to submit to people. The Lord will tell you to submit to people. We are submitting to the Lord. When you submit to the Lord, he will have you submit to people. Right? Calling men and women to submission to the Lordship of Christ, a submission that begins with conversion, but which was to continue into a deepening, lifelong commitment. This obedience to Christ as Lord is always closely related to faith, both as an initial decisive step of faith and as a continuing faith relationship in Christ. That's why Paul said, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What does faith produce? Obedience. As it is written, the righteous... Those that do right in the eyes of God, those that have been made right in the eyes of God will do right in the eyes of God. Why? The righteous shall live by faith. In light of this, we understand the words obedience and faith to be mutually interpreting. Obedience always involves faith, and faith always involves obedience. They should not be equated, compartmentalized, or made into separate stages of Christian experience. Faith without works is dead. James said it. Really good. That's why I keep saying it. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, But what does the word say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior. Is that what it says? Doesn't say that. You see, we, we kind of just have people say the words, but they don't really understand the words. They just want to get saved. We just want them to get saved. But what we don't understand is if we don't help them to understand that what you're doing is submitting to his lordship, they're going to have to learn it some other time. But a lot of Christians live their entire lives without learning it. And they wonder, why doesn't, Christian, why doesn't the Christian life work for me? Because you got saved by a savior, but you didn't submit to his lordship. The Lord of your life is not him, but it's you. Me, myself, and I. And me, myself, and I must learn how to submit to him. He is God. We are not. Psalms 100. I didn't make that up. Psalms 100, right? Okay, so... Um, 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. Paul called men and women to a faith that was always inseparable from obedience. For the Savior in whom we believe is nothing less than our Lord and to an obedience that could never be divorced from faith. For we can obey Jesus as Lord only when we have given ourselves to him in faith. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's why I do not understand. It just, it just, I know I understand, but I'm just saying it just perplexes me how people want to find out what is the least that I can do and still be a Christian and get to heaven. And you know why they're thinking that? Because they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand what it means to be a Christian. They don't understand they've been uh, separated from that concept that when we, it's not, give, it's not Jesus coming into my life, it's me dying to my life and coming alive in him. It is no longer I that live but Christ in me, that I can be Paul saying, it is no longer I, Paul, but Christ in me, but it also can be, it is no longer I, me, myself, I, that sinful thing that wants to stand in the place of God. What is the lie? It says in Romans chapter 1. What is the lie? Some translations say a lie, but the lie is that the creature is above the creator, we are the creature. He is the creator. And Christianity doesn't work until we learn how to submit to his lordship. I don't have to give to be a Christian. You don't. But you're not going to experience freedom in that area of your life. Because the promises of God only work when you submit to his lordship. And if you submit to his lordship, you will find that the power of God will begin to flow into that area of your life. When you submit to the word of God and do what the word of God says and what the word of God teaches, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Maybe not, right? But you're not going to experience the power of God that comes from being connected to a body. I've already told you some things are not going to come, just you and God. They're going to come through others. You're also not going to grow as a person if you don't belong to a body because you don't realize your faults until you get around somebody else that aggravates you. You don't have to have mercy on someone else and forgive someone else when it's just you and God. But when you get around somebody else, and that's why you don't want to get around other people because you, you, you can't deal with them. The problem is probably not them. The problem is more than likely you. When I say you, I include myself in there, all right? Viewed in this light, the phrase captures the full dimensions of Paul's apostolic task, a task that was not confined to initial evangelization, but that also included the building up and firm establishment of the body of Christ. Remember, though, the purpose of grace on the fivefold ministry was to equip the body of Christ with that same grace. So the grace on Paul was the grace of apostleship. The purpose of that grace was to bring people to faith in Christ, the initial act of salvation that is described by the work of evangelism, but the 
apostolic grace is also that which brings those who are saved to the point of obedience that arises from that faith. How do we get the culture of heaven to be a product of here? It's when the people of God start submitting to God and living the way God wants, not the way we want. The apostolic burden was not just to get people into the church, but to see Jesus formed in his people and to see his name made a glory and a wonder in the earth. This is why the Great Commission was not just to make converts, but to make disciples. These true disciples were those who were taught to observe all that Jesus commanded. Day after day, the apostles taught what they had been commanded. This was as much a part of fulfilling the Great Commission as the preaching for the salvation of souls. Seeing so many being born again was wonderful, but when we are born, we are just beginning our life. The same is true when we are born again. This is just the beginning of our journey, not the end. And, and I know I'm running late, but it just reminds me when Philip went down to Samaria and had a great revival. People were being saved. Demons were being cast. Wonderful thing. Word gets back to Jerusalem Church where the apostles are because Philip was an evangelist, and the apostles sent two, two apostles down there to bring them what they needed and what the apostles concluded was they didn't just need to be saved they needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit without the baptism in the Holy Spirit they were going to fall short an evangelist is concerned about them getting saved right the apostle is concerned with the whole gamut and I'm not saying evangelists are, are, are fall short evangelists when they're paired with apostles and prophets or whatever and they've got good teaching good anointing they understand it's more than just the initial but some evangelists once they get somebody saved they're gone somewhere else you know and if the church isn't careful we bring all these people in and just say come and enjoy and receive and do whatever you know whatever you just don't leave and that's not doing anything for them or we teach them a message that doesn't offend them because we don't want them to leave, and that's not doing anything for them. Instead of equipping them to become all that God's called them to be. I promise you, if you have a, 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 a well, it used to be nowadays, I don't know if it's the same, but if you had a, a let's say you had a child that was a, a very uh, a good prospect for being a pro football player or a pro ba uh, baseball player or pro basketball player, and uh, what, what they wanted to do is they wanted to put them on a team, not where they were going to coddle them, but where they were going to make them to become all that they were destined to be. And in order to do that, they're going to have to be, they're going to have to be um, uh, taught, they're going to have to be corrected, they're going to have to be disciplined so that they can become the best athlete they were destined to be. But if you put them in an environment where, hey, it's okay, just so long as you tried, you know, I know you can't always be here, it's going to be okay, you're a great person anyway, even though you don't do anything that I say. We're going to give everybody a trophy because you, you just you sign on the dotted line. Jesus didn't do that. And the churches are supposed to teach the truth. And if you teach the truth, guess what? Some people are going to be convicted because you're teaching the truth. Well, people won't come to our church. There's a lot of other churches they can go to. I'm not not wanting to go to church, but I'm not going to help them by not telling them the truth. That's why we, we tell you there's only two genders. Jesus said he created them male and female. That's why we'll continue to tell you sex before marriage is a sin. 
That's why we'll continue to tell you, even though the Bible can say differently, if you read the whole counsel of God when talking about drinking, uh, the, the, the Bible actually gives uh, teaching that drinking is not something that a mature Christian should do. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But see, what we're trying to do is we're, if, if, I'm not going into that today, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to justify things that allow us to continue to do what we've always done. The ultimate goal of the apostles was to see those who joined themselves to the Lord to become like him. Anything less than that is a dilution of the gospel message. We can never fulfill the Great Commission by just proclaiming Jesus as Savior. He must be Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. So the task is not complete for the apostle with evangelization. No, the task must move towards teaching and equipping the church to walk in obedience to the Lord. So evangelism is concerned with the beginnings of the Christian life while the apostle is concerned with the full gamut of the Christian life. Much like a labor and delivery doctor is a specialist de uh, uh, dealing with the birth of a child, Paul's apostolic grace was not only to see them born again, but to see them established in the faith, and that was evident as people came into the obedience to the word of Christ in their walk of faith. That apostolic grace was also to be imparted to the church. The church is also to, supposed to exhibit this grace from God in order for the church to grow into the fullness of God. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. Coaches equip the players. Not so the coaches can play, but so the players can play. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. No, that's what we pay you for. Actually, that's not what you pay me for. I'm not here because you pay me. I appreciate that you pay me, but I was here even before y'all didn't pay me very much. Because I don't do this for money. What do you do it for? Because this is what God called me to do. My job is to equip you. I equip you with this, but there's also a grace on my life that's imparted to you every time I preach and teach and, and do what God's called me to do. To equip the saints, that's all of us, but we're, for, for the context today, it's me equipping y'all for you to do the work of the ministry. For you to build up the body of Christ. No, that's not the way I was taught. That's not the way church was when I was growing up. Well, doesn't mean that the way church was when you were growing up didn't function, but it may not have been the way God patterned it in the Bible. And what we're interested in is getting back to the way God patterned it in the Bible, not the way things have always been done. You don't pour new wine into old wine skins, right? How long until we all not just one or the other, but we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're going to conclude. I know because it says there, conclusion, only one time, Bobby. So I was concluding one time. In our text, we noted that what Paul had received is grace and apostleship. That is, Paul received the special gift of being an apostle. The word apostle means a sent one. It's a military term used for generals who were sent with a mission to establish a culture that resembled the home culture. Likewise, in the church, apostolic leaders are sent ones into the earth with a mission to bring and make the culture of heaven, the culture of the people to whom the kingdom has come. Apostles are focused on heaven and their mission is to see heaven's supernatural reality established on the earth. The ultimate goal of the apostles was to see those who join themselves to the Lord to become like him. 
We can never fulfill the Great Commission by just declaring Jesus is Savior. He must be Lord of all. So the task is not complete with just evangelization. The task must move towards teaching and equipping the church to walk in obedience to God. Paul's apostolic grace was not only to see them born again, but to see them established in the faith. And that was evident as people came into the obedience to the word of Christ in their walk of faith. I'm done, but I, I did have one other thought um, that I was reading today. A guy named Miles Monroe, very sharp guy. He died a couple of years ago in a tragic plane accident, but he had a way of describing uh, what God called humanity to do. He, he, he grew up in a, a colony, a British colony, and he learned a lot about the kingdom by living in that colony. He basically said that earth is supposed to be a colony of heaven. And a colony... Of, a, of an empire is supposed to reflect the empire. Now, a colony of heaven, which is the earth, is supposed to reflect heaven. God originally created us to be a reflection of the heavenly realm. And we were supposed to cultivate the earth. That means we were supposed to, to create a culture because the word cultivate is from where we get the word culture. We were supposed to enculturate the earth with the culture of heaven. But if we don't live like heaven, how can we bring heaven into our environment? If we live like the world, then we're enculturating that around us with the world. That's why it's important that we learn to submit for God, live for God, and as we walk in the culture of the kingdom, then we can bring kingdom's realities into our families, our workplaces, our jobs, everywhere we go. And that is the will of God. That's why he had the disciples pray this way. When you pray, pray this way. Thy kingdom come. He didn't say pray this way. Get me out of here as soon as I can. He said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is in your midst. Amen.